And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back with another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is Matt Watson, your host for the day. Today, we are um, continuing our series about the top startups in Cincinnati. And today, we're talking to Quotary Insurance. How do we pronounce this, David? You better tell me. It's Cotary Insurance. Cotary Insurance. See, I got it right. I should. We should have pregame this. I'm way off. Well, You're thank good. you so much. And uh, so with David today, David McFarlane. Um, David, before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Helping software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Well, David, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here, Matt. How does it feel to be a top startup in Cincinnati? <laughs> uh, we, it feels, feels good. Uh, it, in general, we, you know, we strive to be a, a top startup uh, in whatever we do. Uh, we're, we're fairly passionate people who, who good, get after things. And uh, we, we particularly like the Cincinnati area. And you know, hopefully we can, we can continue to add to it. Uh, but overall, uh, it's, it's, it's a good feeling. I'm going to guess Cincinnati is not a place that people think there are a lot of startups. Is there a, what's the startup community look like in Cincinnati? I'm going to guess probably kind of similar to Kansas City, but <laughs> what's it like in Cincinnati? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm not from Cincinnati. I'm a little bit different than the, the other Cincinnati folks in that respect. Uh, Cincinnati typically has a pretty homegrown population, let's say. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've been fairly transient most of my life growing up in south florida and a little bit in georgia wait wait then, a second you're saying that cincinnati is not the top of the list for people when they're trying to figure out where to move to so it's a, it's, a, it's shocking i know <laughs> it's uh, not a but, <laughs> um, but honestly Understandable. i i was i was in you know, more of a startup scene before coming to cincinnati uh, i was in chicago downtown chicago and i had just helped start another startup called clear cover and uh, you know, two years into that, I wanted to execute on my, my vision on the commercial insurance side. And I looked around at a, at a few different areas. Uh, I really liked the Midwest. And um, I happened to know someone from the insurance space who was in Cincinnati. Cincinnati also had a pretty strong commercial insurance scene. And that person connected me to what I'd say the, the newer startup scene in Cincinnati, uh, maybe growing startup scene in Cincinnati. And the people were just fantastic. Uh, it's, it's small. It's, it's a small startup scene, but the people are really solid, um, good supportive community, and uh, decided to move you know, me and my wife and kids and start the company there. Wow. So, so you decided to move there and start the company there. That's right. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, so tell us more about your background 
and how you got into this particular company and the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, happy to. You know, for for anyone listening, you know, this this will at least you know listen to this at least while you're about to go to bed because I'm about to talk about insurance and that that'll help help put you to sleep. Uh, I, I'm a recovering actuary, um, and I started off uh, in the, the National Council on Compensation Insurance, which is uh, not half as exciting as it sounds. Uh, but it, it was a good time. I learned a lot of stuff there. Uh, saw a lot of the inefficiencies in the insurance space, and that was down in Florida that I start that I was there. And I, I kind of had this idea of how I wanted to start an insurance company based on that. And from there, went into actuarial consulting in Georgia, then helped do some of the first embedded insurance stuff and jewelry insurance in Wisconsin, and then started a, a personal auto insure tech in Chicago. And all of this like with the idea of eventually starting something one day on the commercial insurance side. And then kind of timing and my education, at least, uh, in terms of getting experience in this stuff, lined up really well to, to start Coterie in September of 2018. Hmm. Okay. And so what was, the, what was the key problem you guys were trying to solve? That, the, you know, the what, key... what was that differentiator for, for you guys? Yeah, the, the biggest issue is, I mean, at a fundamental level, um, small businesses are massively underserved in commercial insurance. And where, where they're not underserved, it, it's just like a complete hassle to get. And the, the main reason is, is like, if you look at agents and brokers who are servicing this business right now, they spend as much time on a $50,000 insurance policy as they do a $5,000 insurance policy. Absolutely. So why in the world are they going to spend any time on that $5,000 insurance yeah. policy where they're making a tenth of the amount? So they just say like, get lost, essentially, yep. right? They're going to do it in a very tactful, nice way, but it, it's to the, to the end customer, they're, they're getting glossed over. And so the agent and broker does, has no incentive to go after the 32 million small businesses that are out there. So what needed to happen was not necessarily a change with the insurance distributor, the agents and brokers, what needed to happen was a change with the insurance manufacturer, right? The, the carriers, right? Yeah. And how they were hooking into the distributors. And so our idea was to tackle the small commercial space using technology and data to make it so that these agents and brokers could actually bind these policies in, in minutes, right? And unlock the massive total addressable market that is the small commercial space. And so that's the problem that we solve at Coterie. So a good example of this would be like just general uh, business insurance policy, right? What would, what would be like the most simplest example? Yeah. So like, let, let's say you're, you know, you're starting your, your small business and you want to, you know, it's a, it's a retail shop, like, right? Like a, you're selling stuff, selling, selling t-shirts, whatever. Okay. So you go and you rent some store space, Right. And right when you go to sign the lease, it says, by the way, you need an insurance policy, which 99% of the leases out there say you need to have an insurance policy in order to lease this. Like, okay. So you go to your agent and broker and they basically say like, look, we'll, we'll get around to it eventually. And it's going to take the agent and broker you know, hours to go through this underwriting process and all that other stuff. Whereas with Coterie, you know, our first iteration of product, we had people binding policies in 7.9 minutes. Okay. Now it's cut that even in half to 3.7 minutes. So, so is, that be, is that because before the brokers didn't know what product to match up that knew that the underwriting was, was easy or whatever? Like, w was it like a product selection issue? 
No, I mean, it, it's a combination of things. Really, it's like the what the agents and brokers do is they go to the insurance manufacturers and they're like, hey, this person needs a business owner's policy, which has like general liability and property coverage. Uh, they're, a, they're a t-shirt shop, right? Like, help me get them coverage. And the insurance manufacturer, the carriers, they're like, well, we've got more questions. You know, are they, are they selling these types of graphic tees? Is it polos? Is it, are, are they open on Sundays? Are they all these questions, right? Do they serve alcohol? I mean, why are you asking? Do they have a, do they have a swimming pool, right? Like, no, it's a t-shirt shop, right? <laughs> and yeah. what, what we do is instead of asking all those questions, we just reach in and we grab data on all these people. And we say, okay, we have two to 3,000 pieces of information. We understand the classification of this exposure. We understand that 99.9% of the time, t-shirt shops don't have playgrounds and swimming pools. So we're not going to ask you those types of questions. And the questions that we really care about, we're going to go get the data for it. And so on top of all of that, on top of just like making that whole process much more efficient, we also say, by the way, this is a t-shirt shop. And this is our recommendation on the coverage. So even if the broker and agent isn't familiar with what they should do, we make the recommendations for them. Okay. And so that's that's the big problem that we solve. So so how are you guys able to answer some of those questions, right? Wouldn't some of the insurance, um, they would want to know like, hey, what is their monthly revenue or their average cost per product? Like somebody could steal or how much inventory they have in stock or... I mean, I could see like there could be a lot of questions like that. Like, do they sell fake Louis Vuitton merchandise, right? Like there could be like all these crazy questions, right? Yeah. And so I, so that makes sense. Like I get it. But so how would you be able to answer those? Like you yeah, would have so to I mean, get those, some of those answers from the the, the business owner, right? Yeah. And it, it's it's important to distinguish, you know, what information from the business owner do you need to know for like just, you know, general curiosity and what information do you need to know in order to price the product price the right. risk transfer in an actuarially adequate way and there's there's a lot of uh debates on that uh which is clearly demonstrated by the fact that you know, many carriers do this in a number of ways we uh what we did was we set up with a philosophy of focusing on speed and simplicity of it so i love it let's leverage the data to at first the data that we can get so that we we can use that to price and make that the primary thing we get rather than burdening the agent broker and policyholder with answering these questions and when you do that when you don't just say let's just ask let's just ask instead you say let's dig in and find the data that we can use to price it 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 forces you to build products in a new way it's mm -hmm. kind of like it's kind of like the difference between hey, we were just talking about kids, right? <laughs> There's the kid who comes and just like, hey, dad, how do I do this? Hey, dad, how do I do this? Versus the kid who's actually just going to read the book themselves and try and yeah. figure out the answer. It's a shift in paradigm. But you were you guys were able to get the manufacturers of the insurance to change to to what you needed, or or how how did you maneuver that? Right, because you're not providing the insurance yourself, right? Uh, kind of. Yeah. I mean, so we call ourselves an insurance manufacturer and what we did. You do. Okay. We, yeah. What we did was we, so we create the products, we file them with the States, we service the claims, we do everything ourselves. So, we're, so you're we're an actual a, carrier. We're not a carrier though. That's the okay. difference. 
Uh, what we are is MGA, MGU, a managing general underwriter, managing general agency. And what we are is we have carrier partners who basically give us the authority to create insurance products and handle them ourselves. So that's why we okay. call ourselves an insurance manufacturer. Uh, we don't API out to other carriers and sell their products okay. because we want to create a really novel experience that relies on data first for the end customers and the distributors. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what you're saying is traditionally a lot of this was was done manually by the carriers. Like they're like, you know, they have to stop and manually make these decisions about the type of the a business that is and and the risk that could be associated. Like it was all manual labor and somebody deciding yep. those things. Yep, that's right. It wasn't it takes very hours. systematic. Yeah, it takes hours and days in that process. And thing is, it's it's not that they're bad. But what happened was, is most of the time, small commercial was these pretty large policies. Like, like honestly, it was more like mid-market, like middle-sized commercial. And then what happened was, it was like, well, I should probably get this for my small business. And the carriers were like, eh, okay, but they're going to have to go through the same painful process right. as these larger businesses. And it just never really got you know, refactored, right? And so you have these small two to $5,000 policies going so in through some Go ahead. To some degrees, it, what jumped into my head is it almost feels like, you know, when you go to buy something today, they can run a credit report on you and very quickly, you know, systematically come to an answer, right? And it's almost like you can almost do the same thing for these certain scenarios with the insurance. It's like we've automated so much of this data collection that we can very quickly make smart decisions without manually making a bunch of gut decisions. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that, that's the analogy that jumped into my head. So. Well, this is very, very cool. I love it. Um, as a business owner in the past, buying insurance has always been a giant pain in the ass. And I always feel like I don't even know what kind of insurance I need until, as you mentioned earlier, like, oh, well, I signed my lease and they said I have to have this thing. And it's it's the same way. Like, hey, I get this giant customer and they're going to give us a bunch of money. But then in the, you know, the, the red lining of the contract, it's like, oh, you also need a E and O insurance and D and O and insurance. You need this and you need this and some tech liability thing and whatever. And I think it's always a giant pain in the ass and I have no idea what I need. How, how do how do small companies, you know, small startups figure that part of it out too? I, I think agent brokers can help out a lot with that. I mean, also our technology helps out a bunch. It makes those policy recommendations based on what you're actually doing and the data that we get in. It says like, hey, we realize you know you're you're a restaurant, right? And you're a restaurant that's open between these hours and has you know probably these type of clientele, these type of sales. Well, based on that, you need this type of coverage with the, this type of you know, additional add-ons to those coverage uh, to that coverage. That's that's a pretty powerful tool. A, another cool thing that we do that helps, especially you know, new businesses, is we not only go through our agents and brokers, we also go through more non-traditional channels. So like if you're using your accounting platform, like a QuickBooks or something like that, we actually meet customers in there uh, and say like, oh, yeah, well, based based on the information that we get from from these different partners and whatnot, uh, you probably need this type of coverage and it can actually all be bound right there in the software that you run your business on, which is pretty neat. Wow. So is that your key go-to-market strategy is those partnerships? Partnerships in general are a go-to-market strategy. We don't do anything D2C. Okay. So you say B2C, but it would really be B2B, right? 
D2C, direct to consumer, D- but or direct to businesses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's really business to business, but for you, they're like the end consumer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they we, would be we, the end we, consumer. We jokingly say we're B to B to small B. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you so you the example you gave earlier was QuickBooks. So you have a partnership with QuickBooks? Yeah, we into do. it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they've been a great partner uh, with us for almost two years now. Really, really solid team over there. So one of the things we talk about all the time is those types of partnerships and the complexity of those. Was was that a really hard partnership to get? Yeah, yes. Um, I, I don't want to give ourselves hardly any credit, though. Like what happened was uh, it, it was really right place, right time. And not all partnerships are like that. Many, many more of them are more enterprise sales focused, but it happened that QuickBooks or Intuit was spinning up this entrepreneurial division that was focused on insurance. We happened to have a product that met exactly what they were doing. Uh, some, some SaaS tools, like they want to create this ecosystem for their small commercial clients. Mm-hmm. And we fit what they wanted to do in terms of truly integrating a product into their software. And it just, it hit really well. And we decided to start working together. So um, that really wasn't our efforts. It was a couple of people who knew each other and made the right intros at the right time. So once you landed that big deal with them, did you guys have to, I'm just curious, because it's always, this is always a topic that people bring up as a go to market strategy. That's really difficult to, to execute on. Um, did you guys have to make a whole lot of changes to your, your product and your APIs and the way you do business and all that kind of stuff? Did you have to bend to their will to, to make this work? Or was it just pretty much, hey, we're ready to go and just run with it? Thankfully, not too much. We built everything with a you know, API microservices first mentality. And mm-hmm. there's definitely some customization that we've done for Intuit and other big partners. Uh, but in general, it, it hasn't, we, we haven't had to bend over backwards. It was very commensurate with the overall thesis of our business. Okay. So it's just execution and no, nothing too out of the ordinary. So what other kind of, I'm, I'm curious now, what other kind of go-to-market partners do you have? Like I could see somebody like paychecks and like companies like that, that are deal with a lot of small businesses would be a good fit for you. Yep. Yeah. So our, our favorite verticals are merchant services, uh, accounting firms, uh, payroll, Mm-hmm. Really, how we look at it is where are there lots of small commercial customers, right? Like small yep. businesses. Uh, where is their data, right? With data rich environments that we can leverage for the, the pricing and whatnot. Uh, and three, where is there at least some type of insurance trigger? And not all three have to be true, but two of the three should probably be true. Sure. <laughs> And like like QuickBooks, there's not an explicit insurance trigger there. But can we create triggers based on the data that they do have? For example, maybe they go from a residential address to a commercial address that's reflected in QuickBooks. We can then say, hey, you probably signed a lease that says you need insurance. By the way, we can help you with that. Maybe they go from a zero employee count to a non-zero employee count. Right, sure. Those types of triggers where we can we can say like, yep, this is something we can we can use to target on the insurance side. Very smart, very smart. I love it. Thanks. Um, well, I do want to remind everybody that today that um, our sponsor today is FullScale.io. 
Finding uh, expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably using the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then to see what, what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team today. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. I'm curious, David, what, what is the uh, tech community look like in Cincinnati? The only software developer I know that has anything to do with Cincinnati left and came and worked for me like 20 years ago. <laughs> so there are no developers left, I guess. He was the only one. He was uh, the only kidding. one. We, so we, we, what is the community like there? I'm just curious, having a tech company in Cincinnati, what, what does the local talent pool look like there? I, I am, I'm not a great person to ask about this because one, we're a pretty remote company. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, we've always been remote, even uh, before COVID. Uh, I'm not trying to you know, pretend to be a hipster or anything like that. It's just how we were. Oh, you're, you're totally a hipster. It's okay. Keep going. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My, my, my four kids and going to bed at eight o'clock makes me a hipster. <laughs> Wild um, man. Yeah, you know me. Uh, so yeah, the environment here, I, I think, frankly, what I know about it, I think it's a fairly healthy tech environment. There are some really, there are good schools here uh, that result in you know, good entry-level tech workers. I think NKU is a really strong one in particular. Um, and then, of, of course, you know, you have Dayton up north and the University of Cincinnati and Xavier, other good, good institutions. Uh, we also have some just, you know, gems of, of human beings, like people who work hard and uh, are just amazing folks. And, you know, the mid to me, that Midwestern mentality. Heck yeah. Really That's right. Heck yeah. We're from the Midwest, baby. We get it. We're a different we breed here. Totally different than West Coast <laughs> and East Coast people. Uh, it's different. South Florida. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's I, different. I grew up in South Florida, so I can, I can hate it on it a little bit. Uh, but I, I've just, you know, I've been really impressed with that Midwestern work ethic. It, it's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, so, again, uh, I can't speak too much to it, but okay. I, I think there's a pretty strong environment so you, here. So you guys have about how many employees? 140. And they are mostly all over the U.S., everywhere, just random? Yeah, I, I'd say like 15% is here in Cincinnati, and okay. the rest are you know, scattered everywhere throughout the U.S. You have a small office in Cincinnati? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's convenient, too. Uh, our, our small office is right by one of my, my wife and kids' favorite parks, so occasionally I'll get to walk right over there and see them there you sometimes go. in the middle of the day. Yeah, well, you know, the whole remote versus non-remote part of this is fascinating. So the company I work at today uh, is primarily all in office, is in office. I work remote out of Kansas City. They're based in Minneapolis. But it's um, it's interesting, you know, the dynamics of all of it. And so many people are used to working remote now that they're never going to go back to the office. But we also know there's a certain percentage of people, there's no way they can work remote. <laughs> so it's, it, it's an interesting dynamic that we have. And um, a local company I was talking to the, here the other day, they did it so they are in office like two days a week and then remote the other three days. And like some people really struggle with that. It's like they work two days a week and the other three days they think they uh, basically like have off. Like, so yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting time that we're going through right now with everybody trying to figure out how this remote thing, you know, works. So, yeah, it, it's I, I'm really curious at how working is going to shape itself going forward. Yeah. Because you're going to have you know, certain people who you can trust who are going to work hard and you basically give them clear objectives and key results and they're going to work no matter where they are, whether it's in an office yeah. or remote. And they will they will 
gravitate to companies who will treat them like an adult. Yes. And then <laughs> and there are some people in this world that can never act like adults. Exactly. And they're going, what's going to happen is if they try and get in those companies where they treat people like adults, they're going to get fired. They're going to get let go. Yeah. And then they're going to end up back in the corporations that just, yeah. oh, this, this is, this is the way that we all go. And I, I'm very curious if we're going to have an increased polarization of like high performing companies and low performing companies. Yeah. We'll it's, and it's, it's a difficult challenge, right? And how, and the people you hire that, you know, work in different parts of the country, have kind of different cultural background, work ethic, all these things, right? So having a, you know, in-office company in California is going to be very different than in Cincinnati and the culture of the people and how well they work in office versus remote. Like, and then at full scale, we have three, nearly 300 employees in the Philippines and they are all remote, almost 100%. And we don't have really a lot of challenges, but um, it's just different. My, you know, my point is it's like just different people in different parts of the country too, kind of cultural kind of work right. ethic differences too, that make that, that come out That's from, right. my, from what I've seen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so tell me more about, um, your guys's company and, and the future and, and what you guys are doing. Um, it looks like you've, you've raised, um, a fair amount of money from what I read here is hopefully that's not a top secret. Yeah, no, it's not. You're you're good. Uh, so we raised, raised billions of dollars. This is crazy. <laughs> not not billions. Uh, oh, millions. We, sorry, millions. You're you're good. You're good. Uh, we've raised about seventy five million to date. Um, and we most recently most of that has come from our Series B, which was a fifty million dollar equity raise. From you know the money the money is fantastic, right? It helps us execute on what we want to execute on. But really the my, I think my favorite part of the raises has been the investors that we've been able to bring on. And I think for any, any founders out there who are, you know, going through the process and hopefully they're, they're not going through the process right now, it's a brutal time, but if they are like, remember the important parts with this, like, and that's the investors that you bring on are going, are there to help you, right? They're, they're not just there to funnel money into your bank account, but you can get, really quality people who will help your business succeed. And that is, the money is important, but that is, that is equally important. So your investors, have they been strategic where they could be like resellers and, and go to market partners and stuff like that? Or what, what kind of, you know, investors have you brought on? It's a mixture. We have some investors who are strategic in that, that they, more so like reinsurance companies, insurance companies, stuff like that, who help mm -hmm. us on the insurance manufacturing side. And then we have uh, other investors who are more, you know, just VCs, private equity type stuff. And their experience in running and scaling businesses has been invaluable uh, as we've grown. They actually have really helped you because a lot of times it seems like they just write a check and disappear and they don't help, but you've, you've actually got a lot of support from them. Yeah, I and maybe that, that's because uh, I, you know, annoyingly talk to them too much, but they, they they still pick up when I when I call, which is nice. Well, so before this company, had you founded any other companies before? I I, I was employee number two at a company called ClearCover, uh, which is a personal auto insure tech in Chicago, mm -hmm. and was chief actuary, head of insurance product, helped build things over there. I made it clear to uh, the founder and CEO Kyle. Uh, when we were talking about starting it, I was like, look, I want to learn what we need to do from a founding standpoint so that I can do this on the commercial insurance side later. 
And mm-hmm. he was really supportive, uh, helped me learn a ton about starting an insurance company and all the, you know, all the funding stuff, the reinsurance, everything like that. And we've, we've stayed in contact. We actually had dinner in person last night. Uh, I'm, I'm here in Chicago, uh, switching okay. up the scenery a little bit. Um, but he's, he's just been a huge supporter, um, throughout this whole process. Well, I mean, that's the challenge of being an entrepreneur, right? Is you don't know what you don't know when it comes to a lot of these things. And you run into all these scenarios of like, I don't really know how to navigate this. I can just sort of wing it. But if you have mentors and and investors and stuff like that, that can help, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, that's, that's life in general, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like being a parent, man, we're both parents of four, like you just figure the shit out. But Sometimes grandma and grandpa are huge resources. <laughs> they know the something. Thing, yeah, that's right. And like, you don't realize how smart your parents are until you have kids yourself. Right? Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, so what, what is the future for you guys? Where do you, where do you see this going? Do you see it branching out into different types of insurance or, you know, where, where do you see this going? Yeah, our focus is you know, build and foster a world-class team to bring speed, simplicity, and service to commercial insurance. So we we start off in that small commercial space. Um, there's there's other venues that can really benefit from you know leveraging data and technology in general. We target those areas essentially by large total addressable market, um, as well as high expense ratios. So like, where is insurance operating today, and like, are they paying a hefty amount in expenses because they're manually doing things. And that's mm-hmm. very objective data that we have available. So we can kind of say like, yep, small commercial is the obvious first choice, massive TAM and you know, expenses are through the roof. And then like, what, what are the other lines in commercial insurance that, that exhibit similar quantitative issues? Can you fix all the problems with our health insurance? I stay away from health insurance. (laughs) I asked you before, like topics we could talk about or not talk about, and health insurance probably should be on the list. (laughs) Oh my god, that's the type of insurance. It's always nobody wants to go there. Well, like, okay, put it this way: if if Jeff Bezos, Diamond, and Warren Buffett can't fix it, like, I I don't know how I can. (laughs) You're the man. You're gonna you're gonna save us all. Golly, I mean the. (laughs) The problem, there's a lot of problems with it, uh, but incentivization is definitely a major one in there. So it's, it's messy. All right. Well, um, as we start to wrap up the show here, I do want to remind everybody that today's um, episode was brought to you by FullScale.io. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? FullScale can help. We have the people on platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. So what what other kind of, um, you know, experience can you share um with our listeners that are entrepreneurs out there trying to follow your path um trying to trying to get to where you are sounds like you guys are on the cusp of being a unicorn here is my guess and uh you're you're doing some some big things and uh what you know how how can you uh give back and share some knowledge to everybody else yeah i'd I'd say uh, focus on things that are or be willing to make the decisions that are first order negative second order positive that's one of the best pieces of advice that i was given 
And what I mean by that is like, uh, just it, it, it's true for business is true for life in general. Like things that are first order negative mean like they hurt initially, but long term they're beneficial, right? Uh, Nobody wants for, to make those decisions. No, <laughs> exactly. Like saving for retirement, right? Like yeah. painful because I have to give up, you know, spending money now, but I'm not going to eat cat food when I'm 80. It, it, it's good, right? Like we, we want to have a, a good retirement. Uh, and, you know, exercising, all these things are, are good. Having children mm-hmm. is a really good example, right? Very painful uh, <laughs> early on, but supposedly when they're 25 well, and out I thought that labor was painful, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, that, that's true. Um, so, you know, in business, I, I think business is the exact same way. Uh, and there's probably some, you know, universal weird economics that happens, right? Like laws of equivalent exchange or something like that that exists in the background. But most of the time, you know, when you when you pay up early, right, it's going to pay dividends over time. And this, I mean, we see companies all the time, you know, who accumulate tons of tech debt, right? Tech debt is largely because we're making decisions that are short term positive, but long term negative, right? We're saying, oh, we'll, we'll just cheat a little bit here. We'll, we'll take on a little bit of debt here. But over time, like it, it accumulates. Um, so, you know, there are reasons, there are sometimes reasons to make short-term positive decisions that are long-term negative, uh, in general, I think it's most conducive if, if, uh, if you can, I hate to say if you can, you always can, uh, but make those decisions that are short-term negative and long-term positive. I'm just curious, do you have a good example of one of those that you had to make that was a big, a big moment? (sighs) Yeah. That you can Uh, share? So, I mean, like starting the, when I was starting Coterie, um, I was, so my wife was pregnant with our third child. She was in her third trimester and we were in a a company that was going exceedingly well, right? Clear cover was taken off like a rocket ship. I was at a really good job and we made the decision of, Hey, let, let's try and start this company. And again, that that's a short-term negative, hopefully long-term positive decision, but the added complexity of that. It's like I had this vision of really changing how commercial insurance is done. And we had some investors who were really interested in putting in money. And on the, they, like we, we were pretty much there, uh, n- not term sheet there, but like, you know, verbally like, yeah, like they want to support this. And the week before we moved to Cincinnati, uh, I was at a going away party for, for me and my family and uh, talked to one of those investors and they said, Hey, David, you know, we really like this idea, but here's the thing, this whole idea of like you being the insurance manufacturer and you creating the products. Don't do that. That, That's too complicated. Just, just resell other people's products, just API out. Don't, don't act. You know, it's, it's too complicated to try and file the products. Just, just do this other thing. And like, I could have done that. It was easier. It's a viable business model. Right. But it was it was cheating on the true vision of the company and what what I thought could be something that was truly remarkable. And so it's like, you yeah, know, no. And they're like, OK, well, we're out. Like, oh, that that's not not very good. It was short term. Yeah. I could have turned around and said, like, hey, no, 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 I'll compromise. But no, it, we, we didn't. We without any investors, we still moved to a to a different state and the third trimester and yeah. <laughs> all craziness and had to find new investors. 
And thankfully we did. And we, uh, we actually signed a term sheet on August 20th with a new investor. And my, my son, my third child uh, was born on August 21st, <laughs> the day after that. So it's pretty neat. How long did it take you to find those new investors? Uh, it took me a couple months. I mean, from, I think we moved in, yeah, it was early June. And so, you know, from early June until August 20th, I had to you know, pay people on hopes and dreams. That's about and that it. That was like your lead investor that pulled out? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Well, but I mean, but as you have explained to me, if, if you would have went that other direction, it would have been more like any other marketplace, right? Where you're just trying to match up people who want insurance to, you know, which carrier policy would have got what they wanted, right? Where to really do what you wanted to do, you needed to break those walls down and like be the care, almost not be the carrier, as you said, but almost be like the, the, you know, you can make the final decision of whether or not to write the policy based on all the information. Instead, otherwise, you were just like a database matching people up. Right? That's exactly right. And I mean, there is a great business to be that business, but that wasn't my vision. And, and like, that's not very unique. I, there's probably a lot of people to do that. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, a lot of them are my are, are my customers and partners. So I don't I don't want to yeah. speak too bad. <laughs> yeah, sure, 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 sure. But yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And but the difference is, you know, take but the key is taking it to that full digital platform that you wanted. That exactly. was the key differentiator. And you would have given up that dream and uh, that differentiator. So good for you for sticking to it and, and making it work, man. Thanks. Thanks. And now you've we, built uh, something pretty amazing. So yeah, it, it's, it's been good. It's been good, thankfully. So that, that one is at least, you know, been, it was short term negative. Medium term, it's been positive. Hopefully we get to the long term positive part two. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, if anybody wants to learn more about you guys, um, where should they go? They should go to coterieinsurance.com. Uh, they can also check us out on LinkedIn. Uh, we're also on Instagram and you know a few other social media sites. But yeah, I, I frankly are you on don't TikTok? Do you have like cool dance uh, videos and stuff? Uh, not of me. Uh, no. <laughs> so uh, may, maybe that'll come. Insurance getting on TikTok. That, that'll be an interesting <laughs> one. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show today. All and right. uh, everybody, take care. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.